Hello and welcome back to the Game Pit. This is episode 178. I'm Sean and here's Ronan. Hey everyone, you're very welcome. We are picking up where we left off on our rundown of our top 100 games of all time each. We've been told off, Sean. We're told off according to the top 100 games of all time when we're doing 200 games. <laughs> That's not the only thing we've been told off about. We've been blamed for Board Game Geek as well, but other than that, it's, it's all going well. We've been blamed for Board Game Geek? Yes, Rachel didn't understand that you had to start... At number one on Board Game Geek, you couldn't start. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I forgot about that. She can actually hear me recording, so if you hear anything like faintly abused coming across, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> we made a geek list to go along with the episodes in case you haven't seen it. Uh, go along and you can comment on there, but because it's number one, listed for number 100, well, I got in a bit of trouble. I don't, I don't know what I can do about that. Reformat board game geek, maybe. Sean, you excited for your 10? You'd better be. They're 10 of the best games ever, allegedly. 10 of the best games ever. I think I'm on shaky ground with a couple of them with you already. I'm looking at the runner. <laughs> I've got a couple that you really like and a lot that you don't. <laughs> I'm going to kick off with one that I'm pretty sure hasn't made your top 100 although you do enjoy playing it it is there's a bunch of these games whereby we have played them with our families our families are, are apart in ages so there's like a group of family games i'm going to include and then the next generation of family games you're going to include <laughs> but my one was also a hit with gamers and it's one with the loudest game you've ever played with me and my family sean is Ah, uh, Ronan, it's on the tip of my tongue. It's not coming to my mind. Come on, tell me what it is. It's got an aeroplane. It's got chickens. I can't remember the name. Uh, Flip, <laughs> Looping Louie, Looping Louie. <laughs> you got there. See, I just do the breadcrumbs and you'll find your way out eventually. <laughs> Indeed, Looping Louie is my number 90. It's because of the the noises, the shouting, the screaming, the getting very, very competitive and exciting as this aeroplane swings around the place trying to knock chickens off and whoever's last person standing is the winner. Re-implemented in Looping Chewy, which had three players and therefore was easier and wasn't quite as good, but similar. But Lupin Lou was the original one, sort of a kid's game that broke out into the gaming sphere. And then I used it again as a kid's game. It went full circle and it was a massive hit. So Lupin Lou will always have a place in my heart. Uh, you're bringing back some trauma. The roaring and screeching in your house. It was, it was, it was traumatizing. You enter the gladiators <laughs> arena. You've got to either step up or get crushed. And, and you and Ellie were brutally competitive at this game. So bad. Like, so bad. I've never seen the both of you so in each other's face. How you, why, it's a very judgy thing to say bad <laughs> about that's great parenting to instill that sort of fury and hatred into your child during competition. How about that? It's just a different angle. If you're going that way, let's go with that. Let's go with that. But Lupin Louie, loads of fun. Loads of fun. But yeah, I never really considered it for my top 100. Although you're right, I do enjoy it. Moving onwards to my number 90. It's a game which I think we both liked, Ronan, but you had some major problems with it. Me less so. Obviously, it's in my top 100. And it's Xenoshift Onslaught. 
coming from Simon, Come On, Cool Mini or Not, whatever they decide we've got to call them these days, and designed by Kerin Philosophales and Michael Schinnel. Game about almost like a tower defense game where you've got this queue of aliens that are attacking you all the time. You've got to defend and you've got to work together to defend against those aliens. And the thing that drove this above the pile for me was the fact that the cooperative element was so, so strong. And you have to watch what everybody's doing. You have to understand the game. You have to step in at just the right moment. And I found it really thematic, really atmospheric, tough, tough game that I always enjoyed playing. And I don't get to the table as much as I should do. It is not in my top 100. I do think it's a strong choice. The major setback for it and I, I agree with you the gameplay is fantastic the cooperative nature the fact that you can equip each other's lines you create a line of defense if you like and there's you expect the front line to take most of the attacks but then there's clever enemies that might jump to the back or switch things around on you but you can actually help arm each other so you might get like an armor expert a weapons expert a medical expert but you can play cards on each other's and all of that is brilliant the only, only holdback on Xena Shift is the game length. Because if you go three or four player, you are talking four hours to get a game. And that might be on the extreme end, but it's not far off. It takes a long, long time to play because of that depth of play. And that is probably the only thing that holds it back. But as a gaming experience, if I can get people who are patient enough to go through that with me, it is fabulous, Sean. There was also that uh, problem with the components. There was a few component issues, wasn't there, that the cards didn't fit on the tray that you had to slide your cards along and things like that. But, yeah. The token's really, really cheap looking. That's like right, a, yeah, yeah. A mass market game sort of standard, especially coming from this company. Mm -hmm. We expect the best of the best, but the artwork's amazing. The theming's great. The expansions add different ideas to it. It's really a fantastic system. Cool, you're number 89, Ronan. You're not going to be happy. Oh. Right? So <laughs> I feel like getting all your complaints out of the way for you, but then you'll have nothing left to say. <laughs> but Martin Wallace mm. has a reputation from 15 years ago of being a very tight designer when he was surrounded by good playtesters. What to me now, he's much more mercurial. He's an auteur. He's, he comes up with ideas and they're not necessarily play tested as they should be, but he still comes out with nuggets of genius. And one of the ones, and I've just got the big box expansion coming uh -huh. from Kickstarter, is Australia, <laughs> which has got a slight Cthulhu theme. It's playing on from a study in Emerald where the great old ones from. Lovecraft and all that have been driven back and the only place they left is Australia now and now humanity are going to start settling around the coast and leading the fight back it's got the time management system whereby you choose how far you want to go with each of your actions so you can end up taking a big turn but then waiting a while to take your next turn you're looking to create different units which will be able to fight in different ways you're looking to farm the land to create resources and then there are these levels of older ones which are going to wake up and some of them might start actually rampaging across the land and you're going to have to face them off but it's competitive so there's an element of waking them up and hoping someone else kills them or gets smashed up by them before you kill them there's also elements of kill stealing in there which i know really annoys people because if there's a huge one to be killed if you've even got one hit on it you're going to get as many points out of it as someone who's put 19 hits on it 
Uh, it's got these very sneaky combative elements alongside Euro elements, alongside thematic elements, alongside slight wonks in difficulty and how lucky different people are. It is certainly not for everyone, but it is a game that I thoroughly enjoy every time setting it up and going, right, how is this going to unfold? We said before about the chances of a game like this working. To me, this works well often enough that it's hit as my number 89, and it is Australia, Sean. Cue rant. <laughs> Not that much of a rant. I was actually, weirdly enough, because um, my whole household is down with COVID at the moment, and my youngest was up through the night. So while I was waiting for him to fall back to sleep, I stuck on my phone and I was watched a video from the Dice Tower that I've been waiting pushed to the back of my mind and I've been sort of thinking, oh, I'll watch that one day. And I finally watched it. Cut long story short, it was Trey Parker from South Park's top 10 games of all time. And he had Australia in there. like number five, I think, of his top 10 of all time. I mean, we're and going to talk was, about you know, some of the funniest, charmingest people in the whole world. I mean, <laughs> we all choose Australia, obviously. <laughs> yes, dear. And he was sort of waxing lyrical about why he was such a great game. Mike Delicio was right alongside him. And I was like, why? Do I can't remember exactly why I hate this game. Then you've just brought up some of it the kill stealing. I'm not a massive fan of the mechanism in where you sort of push far ahead and jump on the turn order, but you might have to wait two or three goes, depending on how far ahead you pushed. That seemed to me more punishing than in other games. Now, that might be just me and might be the way the game's set up because it is quite a sneaky tactical game. Maybe that was frustrating me already. And I remember the combat system being a bit sort of pedestrian and flipping over card after card and becoming quite boring You're and wrong. You've always been wrong about that combat system. <laughs> I, I, can like, I can see why you don't like the time, though. I can see why you don't like the sneakiness. I can see why you don't like someone forging ahead and waking things up and you get punished for it. The combat system is really good. It's it's like dice, but better. It's better balanced. But it's boring. You're flipping over the same bunch it's of cards. It's the same over as rolling a dice. It's like there can only be six results but here. I'm dice boring. is over quickly. You're not turning over 93 cards. Is it the same as rolling a, six, a dice six times? You're flipping six cards. And each of them has an impact. And you're, then you're making a decision after that whether to get out or not. You're a lunatic. Anyway, You're a lunatic on we're it. not going to agree on it. Anyway, I didn't particularly like it. I see why others do, but Ronan, you're wrong. And in the big box, there's now a co-op module. Would that entice you back to the, the land of Oz? Yes. I thought it might. That's why I'm I think sure. there's enough in there for me that that would yeah make it a bit more appealing. Definitely. I'll, I'll try that. If you, if you care to get it out. I shall. Oh, good, good man. Moving on. And this was another one that I think Ronan didn't have the love that I have for. And it's QE from Board Game Tables and Gavin Birnbaum. QE is a, a very loosely structured auction game where your corporation's trying to restructure the world or something. Very loosey-goosey theme on there. The beauty is you can bid whatever amount you wish to do. You can bid 10 billion or you can bid Two, two pounds or two dollars and that's the way the game's going to flow you, somebody's going to set up the rough outline of where their the opening bid should be and then everyone's going to bid and you might win every single bid in the game by bidding stupid money and the, the kicker is that if you have bid the most money at the end 
you don't get anything. You lose all your points and all your all, all that you've made throughout the game, and the person in second place does. So you've got to read the table, social deduction as much as a bidding game. And I just love the table chat and the sort of, try, as I said, we're trying to read that table and passing silly messages to each other. I just think it's a fun, clever auction bidding mechanism type game. And I, I really like QE. It was ruined by hype for me. I think <laughs> okay, it's fair imp- enough. I did build it up quite a lot. Everyone did, though. Everyone did. Oh, it's amazing. You can bid 20 trillion. As someone was talking about it the other day. <laughs> I was on Dice Tower News this week where they were saying, and this was recorded a couple of weeks ago, everyone, by the way, so not this week, but some weeks ago. <laughs> and they were saying, because there's an expansion coming for it. And they were like getting into, oh, I was in a game where that we started bidding and it was put into like, you know, factors. So it was. 13 by 10 to a factor 9 or whatever, you know, wherever it might be. That doesn't make something fun. People writing down big numbers doesn't make... I wish I could play in a game with QE where people would do it in single figures. That would be more fun to me because I'd have more to go on. As soon as someone comes in and goes 5 million, I'm like, oh, this is just a complete crap show. I just don't know what's whatever. <laughs> whatever whoever, whoever makes the last bid is out out because that's going to be bigger than all the other bids that have gone before so there's like tension in the early rounds and then all that tension's thrown away because someone doing bids 10 million and it just takes off so the early rounds meant nothing you could have bid anything all I'm really doing is trying to guess what's lower than the final ridiculous number people are going to get to and it just the escalation is weird to me now I'm having fun it's like yeah it's, okay it's quite funny you're abusing each other but there's not really a game there. It's just a stupid reason to write numbers on a one card. So I don't get the complete love for QE. It's a good game. I don't know. Oh, maybe I've had my fun. Oh, I think no, I think you're being a bit harsh. I think there is definitely a game. There there. You only ever see the winning bid. You like... only ever see the winning bid. So therefore you don't know what everybody else has bid. You only know what you've bid and whoever won it's bid. That's it. Right. That's your only information. But you see the winning bid and it says 10 million and it's round four. And in the first three rounds, you bid 20,000. Those three rounds, it doesn't matter what you bid then. It, the, the people who won it basically won it for free. It doesn't matter. And then now you know someone spent 10 million. You just go, well, I just won't spend 10 million and I'm all right. But then, you know, if you really want a disc you can spend 10 million because they've already spent 10 yeah million. but then people will go oh 10 million i'm gonna go 20 trillion <laughs> it's not funny you just wiped out all the previous rounds there should be oh, limits i think you've been playing with the wrong people yeah. i think you've been playing with the wrong people i've never had a game like that what where someone looks at it and goes right i'm just gonna up the bid ridiculously but like, how much do your bids get yeah. to we, we go off there whoever sets the opening the yeah opening but in bid, the opening thing like, originally I'm... is like a hundred and then by round six, it's a million. Honestly, I've never played. I played with Dan, Luke, and Matthew. And honestly, it was it was so tight. It was so tight. The person who was the highest, we none of us thought they were were going to be the highest at the end, and they were only the highest by like a few thousand. It was it was so tight. Everyone was really trying to read the table. Yeah, there was a bit of abuse going in, and if you didn't want a card, obviously you just call someone an idiot or something, or what a lot worse, throw a few swear words onto the card and, and pass it to them so that the person can read it, but they can't tell everyone what was on it. So, yeah, I, I didn't see any of that. That's why I thought it was such a clever game. I think it probably is group-dependent, though. Right. My number 88, I am on 
absolutely solid ground here. I know Sean's going to come along with the ride for me, or the hop even, around the little kingdom of bunnies. Bunny kingdom, Yay! card drafting game in which you are going to be putting bunnies out onto a map, which is a grid, and you're looking to collect different resources and be able to build cities and match up areas of cities to resources for multipliers every round. You've also got end game scoring, which is across all different factors of where you are in terms of physically on the board, of what resources you control, of all different things. And the drafting makes it fantastic because you've got to consider what you're putting around the table and in lower play accounts, what you might get back, what other people don't want. So I can let that card go. And then also there's the slight element of combat on, it's not combat, of struggling for the same space on the board but it's quite gentle as well so it's a game in which you're thinking you're scoring points there's an element of luck you're all sort of riding the wave together so you're interacting but it's quite a gentle interaction and it all comes together in a very pleasant gaming experience it is loved by people around me which is always going to help push a game up the rankings so my number 88 is bunny kingdom yeah, it's just fun in a box, isn't it? I, I don't really care about the scoring anymore in Bunny Kingdom because I think if you do get hung up on the score, you can get hosed by just bad card draw. If somebody picks that those three spire castles all the time, then they're going to have more points than you, more, more likely at the end. There are things you can do and the drafting helps, but it's just so funny to be able to pick a card and say, well, Ronan's desperate for D2. <laughs> I've got D2. I'll have that. And just plonk your bunny in the middle of somebody else's chain and stuff like that. It's just a good experience, a good social experience, I find. Agreed. What's your 88, John? My number 88, I can't remember what you think about this one. It's To Court the King from Rio Grande Games, designed by Thomas Lehman. It's basically Yahtzee, isn't it? It's a, it's a, yeah, a spin-off on Yahtzee where you're trying to build up through the king's court. You start off with like the peasants and the farmers and, and you build up and the f- game ends when somebody gets the king. And these are the cards are going to have a, a way to manipulate those dice and a different way to either bring in new dice or change what you've got already. And that's all there is to it. And I just find it a very streamlined, interesting, Game of Yahtzee. That's all I can really say about it. And I, I've always loved it from day one. And it's stay, staying in my collection and it's still in my top 100. Wow, you're selling that short by calling it a game of Yahtzee. <laughs> <laughs> you start with a limited number of dice and you build up your pool of dice. And you build up your ways yeah. you can manipulate your dice in order to build up your pool again. And the challenges are more difficult. But when you get there, you get a better power. And you're trying to get it to when you got it's something like was it eight sixes or something like that to win the game, but you're building yeah, your that's own right. engine. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I enjoyed it a lot. In fairness, it's a bit slight or like or or samey even a tiny bit to be like a top top game. But I very happily throw down a game of it, re-implemented, overpriced and ruined by favour of the pharaoh. <laughs> I was going to get to favour of the pharaoh. They just. It was overwrought, wasn't it? Favorite affair, just too much of, of the same. It's a. It should be a small box game, and that's what you should set the expectations yeah. to. And trying to turn it to this like grandiose experience is not going to work. It is a quick little dice manipulator, which you can get done in thirty minutes. And on that ground, it is a good game, Sean. It's a good choice. Yay! What's your number eighty-seven, Ronan? It is Theseus Dark Orbit. 
which is a weird little portal game, which never really took off, but must have sold some because they kept making expansions for it. It's a space station. The space station is, in effect, a rondel, and you are moving. You've got multiple units, and you're, you're different factions, different thematic factions. So you might be the automated space station, or you might be aliens, or marines, or robots, and there's various different ones, again, with the expansions. And you've got a number of units, and you're choosing how far to move one of your units to end up in an action space. But they're not just action spaces, because you can set traps in a space and try and capture people in there, or you can set off attacks. And you are playing cards out to spaces around the board to change what each of these action spaces done. And it doesn't feel like an action space. Like, I'm, I'm drying it down here to try and explain it into this rondel, but it feels very much like a tactical battle. And people are also scoring points in different ways. So you might want to be setting up uh, CCTV cameras in order to collect data because you're a scientist, so collecting data is how you win the game. Or you might be the Marines and you're trying to sort of corner lots of units at once and then open up an onslaught of machine gun fire. Or maybe you're the aliens and you're setting up traps and you can run through ducks and you can jump out of places and try and sort of get people alone and grab them like that. And because everyone's scoring in different ways, everyone's manipulating what the action spaces do, everyone's trying to avoid each other's traps, but it's not always possible. It's a fantastic, tight, tactical battle that I haven't played enough. It slipped down my rankings through lack of plays and I'm looking at it right now thinking... That needs to get played, and next time round, maybe it'll be pushed back up, because I've loved every single minute of playing Theseus Dark Orbit. I honestly expected this one to be a top 50 game for you, because you you were on a bit of a crusade to get people playing this for a while, because you loved it so much. I think it was yourself and Lloyd who, who really enjoyed playing this, and I avoided it for a long time, Ronan, and... I, I shouldn't have, because it is a fine game. It's a really good tactical, uh, spatial awareness battle that you, you've got to really keep your wits about you and sort of lean into the personalities of the of the faction that you're playing. So, yeah, I, I really liked it, and I, I wouldn't mind playing it a few more times. Fabulous. It's a good shout. Thank you very much. My number 87 is the first of one of my cult of the new choices, because that's <laughs> what I tend to do. I tend to love games when I, when I first play them and well, I get a few plays under my belt. And this one is one that Renan hasn't played because he keeps telling me to bring it down and I haven't done so yet. It's Beyond the Sun from Rio Grande Games, designed by Dennis K. Chan. And essentially, it's a big tech tree that you're working your way through. I'm not going to go into too much detail because I'm hoping we're going to review this when I finally do bring it down to Ronan. But yeah, you're working your way through this tech tree. It's a worker placement and you're spinning off all the different techs that you're learning and making the best use of them to do better than the other players. It's based on your, you've got civilization in space. Humanity has had to leave earth and it's trying to find a new home and you're trying to establish better than the other players. And I've really enjoyed my three or four players that I've got of this so far. And I'm actually really interested to actually eventually bring it down to Ronan to see what he thinks. I'm so conflicted on beyond the sun. There's so much, <laughs> so much wrong with it. It looks so boring. And the description it is, does. The description is so boring. It's like, it's a tech tree game. All right, what else? No, that's it. It's a tech tree. Oh. That's it. It's tech tree. <laughs> it's very clever. It is terrible looking. It's awful. And overpriced. 
Yeah, at the moment for sure. But that's that's the Rio Grande thing, isn't it? They don't print enough copies. I, I think that and, just uh, their MSRP is, is overpriced. I don't know whether they print enough copies or not, but just for sale. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. They always yeah. overpriced their games. Yeah. Well, all right, I don't make, make games, but it seems like it's overpriced. And it's so unappealing, and yet so many people love it. And I keep just Ooh. hearing positive things about it all the time. That's why I'm glad you bought it, not me, and you need to bring it down because <laughs> I'm gagging for a game. I need to make my mind up about it. Fair enough, definitely. I shall, I shall do so soon. Your number 86, right? My number 86 has recently been repackaged and brought back out again with the hard-to-get expansions, and it's Russian Railroads. It is a worker placement game in which you are building up an engine. And in the first round, you're going to score about seven points because you've gathered some things, you lay tracks down on different tracks, depending on what sort of map you're using. You're grabbing some special powers with uh, personalities, and you're like, great, I've scored seven points. At the end of the game, you'd have three or 400 points. But what you've done is put the foundations in place. And in round two, you'll score 20 points. And in round three, you'll score 40 points. And it is like a steam engine slowly gathering power and building up. But what it does well is that just because you're not scoring points in those first rounds, unlike QE, (laughs) it doesn't feel like they're throwaway. Because if you don't set them up well and you don't forge your path and you don't not very clear on how you're going to unlock extra things and push yourself along, whether you're going for the cheap route or the more expensive route and you're gathering the right things you need to do, it won't all come together. So it's a constant brain burn. It's got the best thing about worker placement other people choose your space and you're like, ay, 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 I really needed that spot. Well, then you should have prioritized it and you didn't and you chose something else. And so you're trying to work out what other people want to do as well because it's always painful. But once you get going, once you really start unlocking things and getting your stars unlocked and your different types of rails, you really start feeling like you've achieved something and you're powerful and you're a genius. And you're probably not, but at least it makes you feel like that a little while. And I'm glad that it's being re-released and repackaged and all those expansions are now much more readily available because it's a fabulous game. And my number 86 is Russian Railroads. I can't remember why, but I do know you're wrong because I remember not liking this game at all, but it's been so long that I just can't remember why I don't like it. I remember being hosed at London on board a couple of times playing this and that probably fed into it a little bit, but... I'll have to come back to you with that, because <laughs> I can't remember why I don't like it. This is one of those games, and this story doesn't make me sound good, but then why not throw it out? <laughs> it's one of those games where I say to people, and they go, I hate that game, it's awful. I'm like, oh, really? Who taught you? And they'll like, this person, that person, I'm like, just let me teach you again. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, that's how it works. Oh, I should have been doing that, because you need a little bit of a nudge in the right direction. If you're teaching these games to win and you're like, here, here's the basic mechanisms. I'm going to score 400 points. You're going to score 70 points. Who's having fun? <laughs> you got, it's one of the games we have to say, okay, this will change to this and this will change to that. And there's some things, and I'm not telling you how to play, but I'm telling you these are some things you have to consider, which won't become apparent until rounds four, five, six. So I've wasted an hour of your yeah, life yeah. if I haven't told you that. So here you go. Here's just some things to consider, and then you can start deciding what you want to do. And you have to teach this like that. And I, it's one of the games that people have been put off because they've had a miserable first game of it. And it's a shame. Uh, it's hard to grok. It does take a game to fully go, all oh, right. And then 10 games. 
and you're still going, oh, I could have done that better if I put that down and got that star and unlocked this and that would have worked better. And that's why I love it because you you can continually feel like you're getting better and better at it. So I'm sorry you didn't like it. That's cool. Just a quick little question for you on, on this one. I vaguely remember there being a runaway leader issue. Is that correct? Just in that someone can play better than you. <laughs> that's like there, <laughs> there is an element of skill to it. I guess you could decide to start blocking that. And you like, but the thing is, they they can unlock access to higher value tracks quicker than you can. So then you there's no you can't go somewhere and take the higher value if you haven't unlocked it. So you do have to be aware and go like, all right, they're about to unlock that. Someone else has to. Otherwise, like if I get it around before everyone else, I've got free reign there to just I I don't have to go to those spaces early because no one else can go there. So you need to be within a round of each other. Which again is one of those things that why would you teach it badly? Because then you're just sitting there going, I'm just, you know, everyone has to be a little bit close to each other. But it's not that hard a game to get. It's not, we're not talking like a GMT, like eight hour teach. You just have to have a little bit of awareness, which is one of the reasons I like about it. Because it's like, right, you're unlocking it, I'm unlocking it. Suddenly, it's not a free space. It's, it's a very highly sought after space. But in going for those, the other players can now get the other high value spaces to allow them to catch up a bit. So I, I think it's got a sort of subtleties to it. So my number 86, I think I'm on pretty solid ground. It's Ticket to Ride from Days of Wonder, Alan R. Moon. And what's left to say about Ticket to Ride? It's probably the game that I would turn to most of all when bringing new gamers and sort of sitting them down, something that they can easily grok. that's still got a little bit of meat to it in terms of the decisions you're, you're doing and the new deluxe boxes have been lovely and I've, I've bought those and I'm playing them with James and I hopefully eventually play them with Thomas I just think they're just really nice games now the reason they're so low for me the, and I'm talking about all the tickets to rise really is that there's probably not enough there for me I've played them so often all the different variations that it's probably not enough for me to say that's a real top 50 game I think the longevity of it is keeping in my top 100 so Ticket to Ride Evergreen I think it's easy to underrate Ticket to Ride and it's easy to be dismissive of it and sort of like oh yeah Ticket to Ride or whatever it's actually still fun every time I play the game and I've played it within the last year yeah. as well Eddie's boyfriend came over we got it out I did the uh, the classic right it's, it's sort of the the new dad intimidation I just kept taking tickets and I was staring him in the eye going <laughs> Are you intimidated yet? And he was like, I don't understand the game, so I don't know what you're doing. Oh, yeah, what I'm doing is pretty scary, by the way. <laughs> I've got issues. I'm, I'm perfectly willing to. And at the end of the day, I absolutely creamed everyone because a lot of those tickets very luckily went into my lap. <laughs> so we had a memorable game of it. We all had a good laugh about that the other day. <laughs> did you did you sit in the corner polishing a sword saying I would cross? No, that's what I'm saying. Like you like reasonable. But you can maybe take a lot of tickets and be like, Yeah, I'm daring, I can do this. I'm pretty wild. <laughs> you know I wouldn't behave like that, how dare you? I like the ticket to ride. It's not made my top 100 because I've never loved it as much as you have, but it will never also drop out of my top 200 because I enjoy every single game of it. So, good choice. 
Very good. Number 85. I feel like I'm just out to upset you this time around, because it's like my... Oh, goodness. Third game that you don't like. I've, I'm getting to ones you like. Okay, the second half or last four, you like them all. <laughs> the, well, my next one, I know I know you love. So okay, I'm good, on, good, I'm good. On solid ground so let's there. just get past this quick. Quartermaster General is a fan. I don't hate it. Do you not? No, no, I quite like I bought it off the place that we had. Oh, Okay. Clearly, it's someone else that I've been playing games with. <laughs> I think it's a tiny bit, well, I might. I don't, or generally, people didn't love it as much as I loved it. It wouldn't be in their top 100. It's my number 85. It is the World War II game in which, ideally, you should have six players, and each player is playing as one of the powers. You've got three axes and three allies. It is very, compared to most World War II games, it is very accessible. Each country has its own deck of cards, which has their own strengths and weaknesses. And you're just putting out only two units. They're either naval or they're land, although you do get air ones and expansions and stuff. But there's a million expansions now and there's all sorts of different versions. We're just going back to the, the World War II original Quartermaster General. And you're playing the card and you're doing what that card says. And you've got to play together with your teammates in order to be successful. There are swings. There are special events. You can have reactions to things going on. So you sort of almost set up plans. And each of the... Different powers has got its own things that it must be aware of and its own sort of responsibilities within the team play. You can't plan too long term because if one of the sides gets a too much of a lead, they've won automatically. So you're aware of what everyone's doing. Everyone's making their own choices. Everyone feels individual. And yet it's a cohesion as a team effort. And for how simple it was and how easy it was to teach, and despite the fact that individual decks of cards, there's... There's certain rules that go through them all so that you can learn the deck. It doesn't take forever to learn what your deck does. So you, you feel like you're part of the game immediately and making decisions. I just think it's a fantastic... And Sean, it's almost a banned word, but I'm going to pop it out here. Like, I'm going to give myself once every 10 games, I'm allowed to use the word elegant. A quartermaster <laughs> takes World War II and does a very elegant job of simulating it for six players. Or fewer, but six is best. Yeah, I think that's why I got rid of it. It's because it doesn't play very well at sort of two or three. That's why it's not in my collection. But yeah, it was a very, very interesting game. And the thing that I loved about it is the way that the war sort of played out very similar, but then there'd be these distinct moments where somebody go off on a tangent and do something completely out of left field and they'd be, oh, cool, you'd like turn the tide. And you have those moments. It's one of those games where you do have those moments where you talk about maybe the day after. Oh, I remember when you did, when you did that as Italy, you completely turned that, ga- that game on its head. Yeah, it's got some flaws in that some of the factions or the countries are, are slightly more interesting to play than others. I found the Russians to be quite boring because they've got so many land units. You kind of knew what was coming. But then they played as you would expect the Russian faction to play. They're just hitting you with land after land unit and able to sort of almost throw troops away. Very thematic. So I felt it was a very thematic and fun experience. And it didn't outstay his welcome either, Ronan. So, yeah, good shout. Thank you very much. Your number 85. My number 85, I know it's a good shout because it's Cyclades or Cyclades from Matago, Bruno Catala, Ludovic Montblanc. 
We talked about it very recently. Uh, just a really good, I suppose it's a battle game that's also a, a bidding game. Loads of different ways to win. It's always a tight experience. Throwing some of the expansions makes it even better. I'm not going to wax lyrical too long about it because we already did that. And Cyclades, a cracking game. Yeah, I've heard of it. <laughs> yeah, have you now? Mm. My number 84. <laughs> my number 84 sean if i told you that i was going to mentally torture you with trees what would you say arboretum yes you would looks like (laughs) such a nice fun little card game looks like i'll just collect some trees (laughs) and put them out in a pretty pattern and score some points no no arboretum hates you arboretum very quickly takes you into a world of I don't want to. I can't throw a card away. I don't know what to do. I don't know what and if you like difficult decisions, there's a whole lot of difficult decisions in a very short play time. In whatever set of artwork you get, a beautiful looking game. It's just a distillation of what other games try to achieve. It does it with a very small box in a short play time. And just every single round is agonizing. You you are helping someone else or you are hindering yourself and there's nothing you can do about it. So get on with it. It's brilliant. Arboretum, Sean, my number 84. Yeah, a really strong game. I didn't love it straight away. I think the first time we played, I think it might have been a little bit too brutal for me, but I soon found the love for it. And as you said, those decisions, just what, even what cards you put away, you throw away. It's just so difficult to... Um, I don't want this card, but I know he does. Ah, oh, help! Yeah, very good. Very good choice. Thanks, man. Thanks. <laughs> See, I'm being nice to you. My number 84... Hold on, hold on. Is Australia. One... Uh, actually, that's the only one you've hated. <laughs> ah, there you go. Well, you are being there nice to me. Carry on. <laughs> I am being nice to you. My number 84 was something that we both used to absolutely adore... I still do. I'm not sure about Ronan. It's Kingsburg from Stratolibri. Andrea Chiavesio and Luca Lenarco designed it. Oh, well, how many times have we talked about, <laughs> about this game over the years, Ronan? So, Kingsburg, you're building up your tableau of buildings and you're gathering resources to do that and you're fighting off hordes at the end of each round all done by rolling dice and putting them onto workers based on the scores that you get on your dice. And it's a very accessible, almost like a welcoming gateway game and something that James is already playing. So that's why probably why it's still loved by me and still in my top 100. I think maybe once James and Thomas are, are, are too old to really be enjoying it any further, I think it might slip out. But for the moment, Kingsburg is still in there. I still think it's a very good game. Like I still admire it for what it was. And I haven't played it now in 10 years, Sean. My last slug play was 10 yeah, years ago. <laughs> and this is how I also know. You kind of broke it, didn't you? If I, if I remember correctly, you kind of, you kind of knew exactly how to win the game. And they were, and that's kind of what ruined it for you. Sorry, I'm putting words into your mouth. No, carry on. It's all right. I'll just, I'll take five minutes. off. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I played it. I've only got five log plays, which shows I didn't log plays at the beginning because this is one of the first games I bought. And as soon as the expansion was available, I had to get it because I played Kingsburg so much and I knew the route to go down. Although you have to adjust to the dice, you're still sort of going down some route. And then the expansion was cool. It mixed it up. But then obviously for trying to find players 
who want to play a game that's a welcoming game with the expansion to add a bit more to it is quite difficult because generally you're trying to play with new players. So I just played it to death is the short thing of what I'm saying. I've still kept it quite highly rated. It would have been probably in the top 200 because I I played it so much. I loved it. I just fell slightly out of love with it. But it's been 10 years and I can still remember exactly how to play that game. That's how much it's burned into my <laughs> into my <laughs> conscience. So uh, a good choice, Sean. I do like Kingsburg a lot. I've got very fondness, a lot of fondness for it. Lovely. Moving on. So I was at a party last night, Sean. Well, you know. Yeah. But it wasn't on, the best party I've ever been at. There was something lacking. What was lacking, bro? An aquasphere. <gasps> oh, Warden. Aquasphere. I love a party with a happy aquasphere. You rolled out the old joke, shall we? (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know this is coming up later on for sure. I presume it is anyway. It's peak Stefan Feld right when he's going from here's a few things to juggle into his a billion things to juggle and he went over the top of the hill for me. Not that he's over the hill, but for my gaming taste, Aquasphere is right there on the teetering edge of there's a hell of a lot going on. But I never feel like you're just doing things to do things and I don't feel like I'm just jumping through hoops. Although I am jumping through hoops, but I feel like there's sort of a reason for it. And what I'm doing is I'm programming robots, which limits my action choice each turn. And then I'm managing time in order to run around this underwater station and deal with octopods that are building up too many of them. And I'm trying to get upgrades going on and I'm scoring points, but it always is at the manageable level where every decision I make actually matters and I'm not making 20 small decisions to get something done. Every single decision gets something done. Although I can understand some people it being too far that way for some people and go, God, there's a lot going on here. It is absolutely a headache in the box. It is hard work to try and work out. And then what's aggravating is you think you're doing okay and then you get a really good player and they're there just taking 28 actions after you are Three actions after you've gone. It feels like 28 because you're not doing that many actions in the game. You look at them going, wow, you're a lot better at this than I am. That's disheartening. (laughs) But this is the exact pinnacle of mechanisms and challenge for me. And you go any further and you start sliding down the hill. And uh, I just used the word hill twice. It's a hilly Euro, Sean, but they're underwater hills. It's a hilly Euro. Yeah, yeah, they're underwater hills. They're like volcanic vents and there's life forms. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. It gets hot, so don't get too close to it because you're schooled. So come back here to where atmosphere is, and that's where I'm happy. You're an idiot. Anyway, it's beauty. Apart from everything that you said, I completely agree. Also, you're thinking of some of the games we've played recently and over the last couple of years, so the way that they don't flow, and you don't, it's like... Is that a water game, you knew... Hey, there you go. This game, you, although it was hard to do well at, you understood what you had to do, and there was no problem with iconography or no problem, even though it was quite fiddly at point in point. There was none of that that you were talking about, maybe in Golem, where like, I'm, I find it really fiddly and I'm forgetting to do things. I found the flow in this game was really clever. That was exactly, exactly the game I was thinking about. Without mentioning it to say go. that, too much going on, too many little bits. Every little decision doesn't really matter. Ten little decisions to get somewhere. Aquasphere does it much better. 
Yeah, I pr- it probably does. It probably does. And Axfair has always been a big favourite of mine. I'm a bit of a failed fanboy, so it may feature later. It will. So moving on to another old favourite, Lords of Waterdeep from Wizards of the Coast, Peter Lee, Rodney Thompson, worker placement, set in a D&D world, chance to build your own stuff, chance to be a bit mean to each other, set collection, what more could you want? Does everything it says on the box and then a little bit more. I still don't think that this game gets the love that it should do. Even though it's very popular, I still think it's better than a lot of people think it is. And it's just a very competent at everything he does and still manages to deliver a little bit of theme in there. So Lords of Waterdeep, always going to be a favourite in this household. And in this household... And you're going to hear about it shortly in this list, but not in this episode. And I'm a bit surprised <laughs> that I've got it higher up than you have. Because you, I always thought that you had more love for it than I did. I think it might be the same as you with Theseus, Ronan. I just haven't played it in a long time. And I think if I do bring it back to the table, I think I'll probably rediscover the love and it push it up a little bit. But for the moment, it's going to sit at 83 for me. That's Lords of Waterdeep. Marvellous. Everyone remember this when we get to the next time we do this because it's going to be the same comments. (laughs) (laughs) My 82 is a two-player card game classic, which still gets to the table. I have played it so, so many dozens and dozens and dozens of times, and yet still... At least once a year, I'll have a little burst of a month of going, oh, do you know what? Let's play some Lost Cities. It's Rhino Knizia, it's cards, they've got different number values, there's five different colours of them, which are expeditions to different areas of the world, and you start off expeditions by laying out, you're trying to get ascending chains of cards, but a bit like Arboretum, you either play a card from your hand or you put it on one of the five discard piles, and then you pick a card, you can pick one from the top of the one of the five discard piles or you can draw from the deck, and there's a lot of hand balance there whereby I need to have a certain number of this colour before I can really risk going in, because as soon as I open up an expedition, it's cost me points, and I have to have enough cards to make sure I get into the positive. I can double down on that. They're sort of like almost gamble cards, the handshakes, which means you're going to multiply your positive or negative points. And think about it, it has got some similar aspects of... Arboretum in terms of tough choices, when to go for things, what colours you're concentrating in, limited knowledge, but the more cards that come out on top of discard piles, the more knowledge you have. But it is much less painful playing than Arboretum. And yet still has got that challenge of, oh, do I go for it here? It's got the very direct play because it's only two player. And that if I put this six down, I know it's going to be handy for them. But otherwise, I'm taking a risk and starting something or I'm cutting off my own opportunities by playing a higher card and going from a three to an eight. So I cut off all the things in the middle. That's sort of a, a, you know, you're making judgments all the time, but it's not painful to play. It's challenging to play. So Lost Cities is one of the first games I played years ago and I continue to play it to this day. It's an evergreen for me. Yeah, it's for me, it's a clever Knizia game and it's in that massive stack of games for me that, I'll happily play and I'll enjoy when I do play, but I'll never really seek it out. But yeah, it's it's a strong choice and I can see the love for it. And yeah, it plays very quickly and gets out of the way quickly. So cool. Well, that's fake praise. My the best thing you said about the game is. <laughs> Sorry, that, yeah, that sounded a lot <laughs> that sounded a lot worse than I meant it to. How was the dinner I cooked anyway. you, Sean? Well, I could eat it quickly, I suppose. I got it, I got it out of the way. <laughs> Get rid of the aftertaste. <laughs> <Got any mince. laughs> Right then, 
I know you don't like this one, even though you've never played it. <laughs> it's Caverna from Lookout Games, Uwe Rosenberg. The juggling act for me was Agricola or Caverna, Agricola or Caverna. I like Agricola, I really like Caverna, and it is very similar game with a little bit of thematic element to it. Really taxing, building up your resources to dig tunnels and send your, your dwarves out to farm and mine and do battle. Uwe Rosenberg at his absolute finest, in my in my opinion. He's got a little bit of everything that he's good at, and for me, Caverna is the, the better game. But uh, even though Rona's never played it, he's going to tell you why it's not. Oh, it's more or less a sign of the collapse of civilization, really, and the <laughs> decline of Western thinking. That this could ever be. Is that what it is? Yeah. We no longer want to challenge ourselves. We'll just take the easy route, shall we? Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. I've got no idea. I've never played it. I just like to say, I've nearly played it. <laughs> and then I just, well, stuck. <laughs> nearly played oh, it. It's like a werewolf changing. I start like shivering and oh, my face, I start my face like spasm. My eye was twitching. I'm like, I can't do it. Oh, oh, oh. I just, I, look at my eye twitch. <laughs> I can't spend three hours of my life confirming my prejudices. I'm just going to live with them. Yes, dear. Okay, your last one for today. You're 81, Roland. And again, I know I'm all right here. It is a placeholder for a whole system. I've put in Dungeons & Dragons Tomb of Annihilation. It could be any of those games. Castle Ravenloft, Wrath of a Shadow, and all the rest of them. They are, as far as I'm concerned, pick up and play Dungeon Crawls, much as for Lords of Waterdeep, does for worker placement, competent, pick it up, play it, resource collection, fulfill a menu. These games are pick them up, here's your characters, they have their own powers, there's the dungeon, it opens up, each of the monsters has got a simple three-step AI, and yet they feel different to each other, and yet you have to be aware, oh, this one will poison us, this one will hit us from far away, this one's got a fireball that will get us all, so we have to spread out, and we're having to respond very simply Every single turn, each character takes two actions and one of them can be moved. And you're just moving, and it's just fighting. But it's the spatial awareness, encounters happen, you have to be aware of each other's powers, the fighters have to be in line because they've got a higher arm class to take the hits, while the support characters should be supporting them, and yet monsters will surprise you. You don't know what the dungeon's going to look like, so there's variety in every single game. They've built upon the system. It's got obviously a very delicate difficulty setting because it's gone up and down and around about the place. There is a simple campaign system in Tomb of Annihilation whereby cards come out of the deck. You have recurring bosses. You get worse encounters and stuff like that, but you can buy kits. You start feeling more powerful. It's not the best campaign system in the world, but it takes this game that is better than the sum of its parts. Whenever I describe it, I feel like people are like, that That seems like a kid's game. It, it, kids could play it, but they'd play it really badly. In fact, we used to play it really yeah. badly. And we've got better and better and better, and now I've played them all dozens of times. I'm pretty good at them. I'm all right. I know what I'm doing, and I can feel that I'm all right than I know what I'm doing. And in every single box, despite the fact that they don't all have the campaign system, you still have an escalation of scenarios, and you're still working through to bigger, badder, better challenges. They've all got cool miniatures in them. They've all got cool powers. They've all got cool reveals. When you're in Ravenloft, you actually feel like the vampire is affecting everything and making you feel chilly and cold. Tomb of Annihilation, you start off in the jungle area and you feel like you get attacked by certain things and you move on into the actual tomb and then other monsters come in. So it's actually incredibly varied. 
within a very simple system. And I, the secret, I think, is that AI for the monsters, where you, it's, you're just looking at it and going, is that the case? No. Is that the case? Yes. This is what it does. Brilliant. Got it. Takes five seconds for each monster to decide what it wants to do. And yet they feel to a degree alive that they're not geniuses, but they're smarter than the monsters in Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven's a great game, <laughs> but this has done it much more accessibly. So the Dungeons and Dragons adventure system, whatever the hell it's called, in this case, two in violation, but all of them are very cool games that come with pretty bits. The benchmark for me of a dungeon crawler is, is this system of games. I, I would look at this and judge other games off of these. Now, sometimes the game might be a little bit better, sometimes it might be a little bit worse, but definitely this is the, the area which I judge it. I've always enjoyed them. There's been a couple of uh, ones that have fallen flat, but in general, they've been all really good games, and I'll talk about them a little bit more probably later. I'm pretty sure you would. Correctly. Pretty sure you would, yeah. <laughs> right, last one for me this episode, number 81. It's Luna from Hall Games, and lately the now defunct Tasty Minstrel Games, and it's my first Stefan Feld of my top 100. It's been one that I've, I've loved for a long time, even though I didn't start off loving it. The first time it really confused me. Just the flow of them. We talked about Aquasphere having a, a, a certain flow of them. All makes sense. Luna is not so much. There's there's a few peculiarities about Luna, but in general, it's a game where you're moving from island to island. You're building up things. You're following the the moon priestess and the and the grand worker or the grand builder around, and you're building up your tableau, but you're building it up on doing on these different islands around the around the central board they're scoring all over the place as you would expect with a Stefan Feld but once you get your head around it and able to rock it it's just a really strong Stefan Feld game and all the things that I love about him are, are in abundance in Luna I know it's one that you have loved in the past Ronan yeah you've got to stop stealing my next 10 <laughs> it's just not all right. I just want to yeah, ref- refer back to previous episode, please. Please look up Prime Minister's question times. I refer you to Sean's previous answer, 81. Um, yes, it, again, one that is that would have been top 50, probably top 20 at one point. Just lack of plays. I just keep going, I need to play, I need to play, I need to play, and they're not playing them. And it's a great game, Sean. I love it. And it, it's one of those ones that... When it came out, we were probably new enough in the journey that it just blew our mind because it was different. Yeah. And the movement of how Definitely. to get your, your characters where you want them to be and to follow the, the wave or for them to swim. Remember, I used to teach it sort of like this one swims and he's tired. He gets in a boat, he's not tired. <laughs> All that sort of stuff. I remember you first, the first time you brought it out, you're like, listen, stick with me. This is going to be a bit weird, and it's hard. It's hard to teach, so I'm going to probably struggle a little bit. I think that I kind of lent into that, and I was like, "No, I don't like that." But then, later, a few years later, we brought it out again, and and you were like, "You were much more adept at teaching it, shall we say?" And it, it definitely stuck that time. Wow, that feels a bit, a bit blamey there. You stole me from a few years of Luna plays. Strong choice, fantastic game. And unfortunately, it went to TMG, so the reprint didn't give it the boost of popularity we hoped to. <laughs> We're just going to kick TMG every time we can, apparently. Why are you being mean? They did make the worst coins ever in the history of. Well, your hands are three games. yards wide. They're like the wingspan of a condor, so I don't know. Honestly, they were the smallest coins in history. Or they were just normal size, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking, man. I, you know. Well, no, a word of a lie, that you've picked a really good 10 games 
<laughs> I feel a bit bad. I feel a bit like I've let myself down here. Mine are a bit more niche, and yours are like, no, this is just classic. People love this. This is great. So uh, I'm going to I'm gonna have to up my game. I'm going to have to start yeah, changing. Yeah, but if I'm getting the good ones out now, imagine the crap that are in my top 50. Oh, I can only I'm, – I'm hoping. I'm really hoping <laughs> that I can give you a good kicking because really I can only really moan about Caverna. And that's disappointing. That you haven't played. That you haven't played. Yeah, but other than that, I can blame it for downfalls of civilizations and what have you. Well, hey. I don't need any evidence. Ronan, thank you very much for your list. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah, and again, we are proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to catch us on social media, you can pop along to Instagram, Facebook, but we are most active on Twitter at Game Pit Podcast. To contact us, and please do if you've got any questions or anything you'd like us to cover, our email address is thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com and we're also very active on our board game Geek Guild pop along there if you want to have a chat with us and yeah that's it thank you very much for listening and we will catch you next time on The Game Pit music by E. Aaron Dwarf bothering boy. Five, four, three, two, one, boy. boy.